0: All right, guys, let's, uh, let's start heading back to our seats. I'll turn Leonard Cohen down. Yes, I made the list. <laughs> guys, I, um, today, uh, one of our elders, Renee Palacios, is, uh, is going to be uh, sharing the word. For those of you who don't know... Um, He is a retired Anglican priest of of many, many years, and is currently the director of chaplaincy at Denver Rescue Mission. I personally uh, am so glad that he's one of the elders of our church, and he is a huge blessing uh, to this community. So please give him your full and undivided attention as as he drops this fire and brimstone on us here. Well, good morning. As Matt said, I am the director of chaplaincy at uh, Denver Rescue Mission. also run shelters for over 28 years. Um, and this coming week, Denver Rescue Mission is going to be 130 years old. So, you know, so for all those 130 years, Denver Rescue Mission has been ministering to people who have experienced homelessness, so We are glad to celebrate that glad for the The grace and the blessing that God has given to us to be around for that long Thank you for being here Um, Today we're going to look at uh, John chapter 20 verses 19 through 31 Before we start that, though, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we worship you. Thank you that you've called us into your presence, that you've given us your grace, Father. We thank you for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We thank you, Father, for your church around the world. And I thank you, Father, for the people that are gathered here this morning. Pray, Father, that you'd open up your word to our understanding, that you'd be with us that you grace us with your presence, and that we give you glory in Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to read a little bit from a. I'm going to read a little bit from Augusta, a hymn by Augustus Toplady. Now, the hymn that you probably would be more familiar with is called "Rock of Ages." It. Now, the hymn I'm going to read is called "From Whence This Fear and Unbelief." which was written somewhere between 1760 1770. And so I've changed the word so that we understand it, at least so I can understand it. But let me read these a little bit, a few verses to you. Now, why this fear and unbelief has not the Father put to grief the spotless Son for me? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin which Lord was charged to you? Complete atonement you have made and to the uttermost you have paid whatever your people owed. How then can wrath be taken out on me if I am sheltered in your righteousness and sprinkled with your blood? If you have secured my innocence and freely in my place endured the fullness of divine wrath, God cannot demand payment twice, first at my bleeding Savior's hand and then again at mine turn then my soul into your rest the merits of your great high priest has brought bought your liberty trust in his cleansing blood and do not fear your banishment from god since jesus died for you now our hands say a lot about us i met my wife bridget at a bible study that her mother used to hold once a week for women in the neighborhood now my sister and her husband live next door to to Bridget's family, and my sister would attend these meetings. I was working as a carpenter at that time, and one day the contractor didn't have a house for us to build, so I had the day off, so I went to go visit with my sister. And she invited me to go to the Bible study next door with her, and I was curious about what my sister was being taught, so I went. And Bridget was there, and I'll be honest with you, once I met Bridget, I have no idea what was taught or said the rest of the meeting. (laughs) But at the end of the meeting, uh, the Bible study Karen, my future mother-in-law, had us stand and hold hands while we prayed. And uh, I happened to be sitting beside Bridget, so we held hands. Now, I was a carpenter. My hands were a mess. They were rough. They were dry. They had blisters. They had calluses. They had black and blue fingernails. They had missing fingernails. All of those things that go along with being a carpenter. But I looked at Bridget's hands and they were perfect. And they fit perfectly in my hand. And once Karen saw us holding hands, she had ulterior motives. And so she hired me to build a greenhouse. And, and from that day, Bridget jumped in and worked with me building the greenhouse. And, and I, was, I was really happy that she wasn't afraid to get her hands dirty. So from that point forward, I knew that we were made for each other because she, could, she was willing to get calluses for me. So. And I'm sure I've told you this story about my grandpa, Don Eduardo Maldonado. Grandpa was not a big man, but he was tough. When mom would take me to visit him, I would have to very politely stand before him. He would say to me, enséñame tus manos, show me your hands. And he'd be sitting in his chair and then up above him, he had this stick and leather straps that were hanging from that strip. you know he never disciplined me but my uncles you know he he did but when you went to grandpa you were very polite and so he would take my hands and he would inspect them he'd turn them over look at them and he wasn't looking to see if i washed my hands or whether they were well manicured no he was looking for blisters cuts and calluses to grandpa your hands said a lot about what you had been doing. If he saw calluses, then he would express his admiration. If your hands were all soft and smooth and clean and you had all your fingernails, then he would ask you, how old are you? And, you know, I'm 10 years old, and you don't have a job yet? And he would express his disappointment. My sons, when they were little, would grab my hands when they were afraid or unsure. Holding my hands made them feel safe. Now, when you work at homeless shelters, you often have to assess how much of a threat someone is to you and other people. Some people get very escalated very quickly, maybe verbally abusive, but not physically violent. And I have taught my staff to look at a person's demeanor, And I told him, if someone throws up their chin and put their arms out, they're not going to hit you. But if someone tucks in their chin, be careful. I also said, look at their hands. If you see bumps right here, means that they have boxer's breaks from hitting people. If their knuckles are rough and calloused and scarred, you can tell that that's the kind of person that will hit you. And so I would teach them at that, when you see somebody like that getting escalated, be ready to grab your ears. And they knew that I was saying, tuck in your chin. So that if somebody took a swing at you, hopefully they wouldn't knock you out. One time at a shelter early in the morning, a man brutally beat another man. Me and my, one of my staff members walked the man out of the shelter because we told him he had to leave. He didn't resist us, and he just walked out. Now, it had snowed overnight, and there were several inches of snow. The snow looked white. It was beautiful. The man's hands were bloody, and I could tell that he had been in many fights. And he walked outside. He took his hands and he plunged them into the snow to take down some of the swelling and to wash off the blood. And then he just walked away. As I looked at the bloody snow, I thought, it's one of the ugliest things I have ever seen, to see this beautiful white canvas of snow and have it marred by the stain of red blood from a violent encounter. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we need to place ourselves in these three scenes. Who do we identify with? Remember, this was Easter Sunday evening. The disciples had been told that Jesus had arisen. However, the doubts and fears were still present. The disciples were trying to process all that had happened in these last three days. The church was gathered behind locked doors, unsure of, of what or whom to believe. They were afraid. They were filled with unbelief, and it wasn't just Thomas who was filled with unbelief. In fact, Thomas was not even hiding behind the locked door. We don't know where he was, but he was not here at this time with everyone else. Maybe he was a brave one. I don't know. And please understand me, I'm not saying that we should, we should or even can be fearless. It's not wrong to lock your doors. I'm all for security procedures. We need to protect ourselves and our families. In the Anglican Church, one of our a canon is someone that a bishop has assigned to a specific duty. A canon, Andrew White, was called the Vicar of Baghdad, and his was the last Anglican church in Baghdad before they even had to close that down. But as he'd look out over his congregation, he would see who was missing that day because he knew they'd probably been taken captive or murdered. And he used to preach with a, he would have a bulletproof vest on and armed guards around him. The disciples had seen their leader, their friend, brutally tortured and murdered. And unfortunately, more than once, I've had to go back to work immediately after a coworker or a client has been murdered. At those times, I had all kinds of feelings. Some of those feelings I can't even articulate. One feeling that I never felt was bravery. So as we look at this, we have to judge them fairly. Yes, the Savior had been resurrected, but not all of them had seen him. Not all of them knew if the stories that were coming to them were true. The last thing that they had seen is that their Lord, their Savior, their friend had been brutally tortured and murdered. Let me read to you now from uh, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. withheld. Now when did it happen? It was the evening of Resurrection Sunday. It was the first day of the week. And where did it happen? It was in a house behind locked doors. Now Bishop William Willimon says that maybe it could be called the church of the locked doors, or the church of the sweaty palms and shaking disciples. But the disciples had been through a traumatic experience these three days and no one can blame them for hiding behind locked doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. It was hard for them to believe that Jesus had truly been resurrected. And we don't know what they were saying or exactly what they had been doing but we just know that their world had been turned upside down. And so, of course, they were gathered together behind locked doors. But we don't know all that was said there. And so what happened there as they were gathered behind those locked doors? All of a sudden, Jesus was among them. Now, I don't know exactly how he came into this room. John Calvin says he climbed in through a window. Others that he dematerialized and like Star Trek just came into the room. It's possible somebody actually opened the door and let him in. But all of a sudden, with all of this going through their minds, all the turmoil in their hearts, there he is, Jesus. Jesus. And what what does he say to them? What's his first words to them? Peace. Be with you. That's one thing I do miss about the Anglican liturgy is the peace be with you. And we honestly don't know what kind of condition he was in. He had scars or he still had wounds. But it says that he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. He showed them his wounds. When they realized it was him, what did they do? They were glad so the turmoil and the fear began to leave and they were glad and again he says to them but in a different sense peace be with you first it was a greeting now it was a particular blessing to everyone that was their peace be with you And as Pastor Matt led us this morning um, in that prayer, we live in a scary time. We live in a hard world. People are suffering. But what does our Lord say to us? He says, peace be with you. And then Jesus commissions the disciples. Sometimes this is called the new commission. He says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Now remember, in their mind, God didn't send Jesus on a fancy cruise ship. You can imagine what they're thinking as as he says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Because outside the locked doors there was still that world that hated them. But then what does he do? He breathed on them. It was as if the air had been knocked out of their lungs. And I'm sure there's been some time where the breath has been knocked out of you. And you struggle to catch your breath just to keep to take that breath. Those of you that have had COVID, like I told you when I had it, there was times where I didn't know if I was ever going to have that breath again. But He breathes life into them. And then He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. In other words, He was saying, God has sent me, I'm sending you to do what? To proclaim the life, to proclaim the gospel. The ones that receive that, that have been, it's been mixed with faith, they will believe. And those that do not receive it, then it stays as unbelief. And as we go on to, chapter, to verse 24 and 25, we see a, a sort of a hinge there, a couple of hinge mm-hmm. verses. Between these two main scenes, we see a minor scene. And it says that Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So he puts conditions on his faith. He wants to see, he wants to touch before he can believe. In other words, he wants to see Jesus himself. He's not going to take anybody's word for it. So he has to see that. Then we go into verses 26 through 29. And it says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace. Peace Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So it was eight days later. It was the next Sunday. And where was it? It was probably in the same house. And the doors were locked. And what happened? Again, Jesus comes. And he's there with them. And he stood among them. And he again says, Peace be with you. And then it's as if Jesus turns and he looks at Thomas and he says to him, Put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand and stick it in my side. Now in a lot of the Jesus films, you see this little tiny hole like that where you might be able to get your little pinky into his side. You no, know, He's saying that this wound is big enough to stick your hand into. And we don't mm-hmm. know, it doesn't say whether Thomas actually did that. We don't know if he really touched his hands and put his finger into the scar or put his hand into his side. We don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus condescended to his disbelief. And sometimes we have it in our minds that it's all up to us to conjure up all this belief, to conjure up all of this faith, we have to remember it comes from Him. It comes from His Holy Spirit. He gives us that faith. He gives us that belief. So in the midst of the worst of circumstances even, we can believe. And we can believe those words that He says, peace be with you. And so what does Thomas say? He says, my Lord and my God. Finally, after all of those years that he spent with Jesus, it finally sinks in. My Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. As we get to verses 30 and 31, we see it says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in the name. In his name. So Jesus did many other things, but these are written so that you may believe. This is enough for you to believe. You know, I, I have four grandkids, and I love all my grandchildren. I, I especially love it when I go to Albuquerque, and I'll, I'll go to my son's house and ring the doorbell and and Liam will run to the door and open it, and his eyes will be like this big, and he'll yell, Tata, and he'll, at the top of his lungs. But he doesn't jump into my arms. Instead, he just leaves me at the door. <laughs> and he runs to go get his mom and his dad so he can announce the good news that Grandpa's here. Then he comes back and he jumps into my arms. Now, I never jumped into my grandpa's arms. That just was something that was never done, okay? In fact, I don't remember him ever hugging me, but I loved him and I knew that he loved me. Now I became a believer at 21 years old, got married the next year, went to school to study for the ministry. I didn't have many opportunities to present the gospel to my grandpa but I prayed fervently for him. He died while I was away at school, and because of circumstances, I wasn't even able to make it home for his funeral. I was unsure of his salvation. But my grandpa had beautiful handwriting, and he wrote down important life events in journals that he kept. And this week, I was looking at those journals and seeing it was all in Spanish, but it was beautifully written and he would, all of these life events he recorded. Now, my mother and her siblings, after Grandpa had died, and as they went through his household belongings and went through his, his safe and things like that, my mother found a small piece of paper And on that piece of paper was written, Gracias, Somi mi Thank you, my great God. It was as if he had personally written me a note to let me know that he was a believer and that the road that I had taken was not in vain. He wrote down something for me to live to go on with my life, to believe, to trust. Now, there will come a day when we stand before our God. Now, this is not something that you will find in the Scriptures pictured exactly the way that I picture it. But this is how I see it in my mind and in my imagination. And I see myself coming before God as He is seated on His throne, And he'll ask me, show me your hands. And I'll put out my hands. But then miraculously, it won't be my hands. It will be the hands of a carpenter with calluses rough hands but they'll have scars in them and God will look at his son and say well done then God will motion to his son be seated at my right hand and the Lord will take his his place at God's right side at the right hand of God and then I along with all those who believe will take a seat on the train of his robe at his feet and we will say my Lord and my God let's pray Father God, we look forward to that day that we will see, Father, the full accomplishment of what Jesus Christ performed on the cross, delivering us, Father, from sin and from Satan, from ourselves, and providing so great a salvation for us. And we thank you that on that day there will not be any more fear There will no longer be any unbelief, but that we will all together as his bride say, my Lord and my God, and we will see our Savior. Amen.